Welcome to the Selfish Podcast. Today we have a very great guest who I'm very, very appreciative of from being on the show and excited to hear his story. His name is Brian Bradley. If you haven't heard of him, you're going to be excited too, and more people need to, but he's got a big presence, a big name. And you can find him on Instagram, on YouTube. He's worked with tremendous people and he works on the body, he works on posture, but he works on function and, and life and making people live a better quality of life. And that's what I'm all about. So I'm so excited to have him here. Thank you very much for being on the show. And I'm actually going to start by going more personal into your life and your upbringing. I want to hear about your childhood and pre-10 years old. Can you paint me a picture of what life was like for you, what your parents were like, where you grew up? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on here. And uh, yeah, listen, I always joke around with people that I was raised by three sisters. So um, I'm very much in touch with my feminine side. Um, as it relates to dealing with life's issues. And I really think that's given me uh, some insight into how to listen to people in chronic pain and really look for something. So when you're raised, um, especially in a small town uh, in the middle of Pennsylvania, where, you know, the only thing to do was to be outside, to run, jump, climb, hop, play. I mean, that's what you did for excitement back mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. Um, even to this day, when I go back and visit, there's kids that are outside playing around so much more than what I see in Southern California. You know, Southern California, you know, you drive everywhere. Even if you're an amazing soccer player, you're still driven to practice, then driven home, then driven to here and sitting for this. And so that's where all this stuff around sitting is the new cancer and sitting is the new smoking came from. Everybody is electronically driven right now. But still, even in a small town in Pennsylvania, like yeah. literally small town, 2000 people, you're looking at, <clears throat> what do you do for fun? You rake leaves in the fall, and then you jump off of a tree branch into that pile of leaves. You play in the snow, you go into the lake, you go, you know, motorcycling, biking, all that kind of stuff. And that's basically how I ended up being raised when we were younger. My mother used to tell me, don't come home early until I whistle. And I'm like, hmm. what the heck? Does she even love me? What's going on? You know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but her reasoning was, like having a puppy i gotta i gotta wear these kids out or they're gonna wear me out yeah <laughs> yeah no exactly no it sounds great and you do see there's a big difference between a, a city life and a country life with the amount of activity oh. and what people do with it do you remember what was what was school like for you in that town and how what age did you um move out of there school is easy um i didn't really I was the middle child, so out of five kids, you know, so I looked at it from the standpoint of, I'll just do enough to skate by in school. And that went all the way through college, um, which is not the way to go through life, kids. So if anybody's listening with children, do not raise them the way that I was. But it was, it was one of these things where school, I had zero interest. I honestly, there's not a question in my mind whether I had an attention deficit disorder um, on the spectrum of something, because I just couldn't concentrate. My body was um, always wired up for sports, uh, running, throwing, you know, doing whatever. I would much rather be doing that or use my creative mind. I've always been into cars, race cars, things like that. So little matchbox cars, I'd create little cities, even to the point where my dad, I don't remember what age it was. I was playing with him outside one time and he said, you know, it's about time you stop playing with cars. And it was a very interesting statement to me. 
and you know, having kids now, you, you kind of learn. Remember, our parents did the best that they could at that time. So you learn a lot off of what they did or what they didn't do, and you don't judge any of it. it they literally did what they thought was best at that point with the resources that they had. So yeah. when a statement comes out like that, you start thinking to yourself now, I wonder if he was inadvertently stifling the creativity of a child, you know, because in his mind, when you're whatever age, I'm assuming it was probably like 10, 11, 12, it's time to start moving on to bigger stuff, you know, um, racing BMX bikes or doing whatever, which I was already doing that. But, you know, I think it's, it was more of, and now, you know, from going through Tony Robbins, you now know that it was all significance driven on his part. He was the one with the issue as it related to those cars and you playing with cars on a racetrack and stuff like that. Little does he know now that I actually race cars. So it's a, uh, it's a love of mine to do that kind of stuff. And you know, when you're, you're doing that, it's all, it's just, you're either into it or you're not, you know, some people like the speed, the turns, the brakes, the G forces, all that kind of stuff. And I've always loved it, but you know, being raised in a small town like that, unbelievable parents like like to me it was one of those things where if i could if i could be 10 percent of what my parents were like as i was growing up um to my child you know it would be amazing so i improved it by about 150 percent. you know it was <clears throat> my dad coached football i played football and because he coached football and i played on the same team there was always that thought that i'm gonna get the nepotism break like that's my son so he gets extra he gets to do more stuff like that but he he went the other direction he went to if i show you favoritism it's going to be frowned upon when i started coaching my son in soccer he plays d1 soccer now which which is not my fault i mean he had much better coaches than i but it's i always tried to fault on the other side which was because i'm the coach and i'm volunteering my time you will go first you do get the first choice of numbers you will because I, it didn't feel good what happened before. And, you know, in, again, we make these changes. And I asked my son later in life, and I said, did you even notice that? And he said, no, I didn't really notice it, but I was always better than everybody. So I just assumed because I was more of a bigger, faster, stronger, I was going first that way. So kind of good that it didn't create any thought process that he has to take into raising kids later. Because, you know, he's, he'll be raising his generation of kids, you know, sooner yeah. or later. You want to make sure that you had some positive impact on that. Yeah, no, of course. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you were younger? Like what your first inspiration or drive career or just something you wanted to achieve when you were young? I don't know. I mean, I remember talking about being a doctor um, because I had some doctor friends that I uh, was friends with through my parents at the country club, like golf course stuff. And I was always intrigued by, you know, these guys had these two uh, Filipino doctors had amazing demeanors about them. They were Hmm. unbelievable, like so caring, so calm, so smiling. So this, you never felt nervous around them when they were doing treatments on you and stuff like that. And the funny thing is they were both into pretty high level table tennis, which of course, you know, from some of my videos on Instagram and stuff like that, Master Co and I, you know, I played uh, uh, table tennis at a, you know, what I say, a national level, meaning in the United States, they have national rankings and all that kind of stuff. And you, you get as high as you could you could possibly learn the game. Um, I got as high as I could probably go and I moved into coaching and, uh, um, you know, I, I teach it to some people now along with pickleball, that kind of stuff, just because of the, the love of the games. But I remember those guys. Um, I remember 
watching them play and I was just enamored, you know, at their entire lifestyle. Like, so I, I, something came to mind when you said that, that, yeah, I wanted to be just like Dr. Macaranis or Dr. Nartatus, you know. Yeah, it was was really interesting that it was actually their presence that you admired, not so much what they did, but how they carried themselves and imagine how other people actually looked to them as well. Yeah. And, you know, I'm attracted to um, anyone that I'm going to go see for any of my healthcare needs or anything like that. I'm attracted to that same bedside manner. Like I'm not interested in anything other than that. You know, if you don't have it, you you don't get the privilege of working on me. Sorry, not happening. Well, yeah, it's a service. And they said it needs to be both ways. You need, I've met a lot of people in the sort of medical industries and there's, you don't always get that good service, you know? There's a very mixture, but when you do get someone that genuinely you can see they they care and they have that passion for what they do, and they like said and they have a demeanor, they just carry themselves a certain way. You actually look forward to going to see them, even if you're not feeling so great. That's right. <laughs> That's why you're seeing them because you're not in a good place, but you're actually excited to see them. And I think that just starts the healing journey and getting you better even quicker. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what comes to mind when I say what was like your earliest struggle in life? What's your biggest hardship that you you had oh boy uh hmm. it can be as young as you want it could be prior to 10 it could be your teens no i think it's probably uh in athletics um i was always very good at every sport but i wasn't the best Hmm. and there were always these guys who i'm still friends with to these days were just like you see those commercials about PGA golf and it says they really are that good. Like you can be a scratch golfer <clears throat> and you're, you're still 50% away from what these guys like Rory and um, Phil and Tiger, what they can really do with a ball and a club is truly an art. So you could have the science down of, I know how to do this and I know which club to pick, but they have a feeling tied to it. They have a third eye where they can see things, how to draw the ball, how to, you know, fade the ball, do whatever. That's yeah. analogous with, um, you know, basically anything, you know, I football, wrestling, baseball, you know, eventually other sports, they were all easy. I could hit a three, I could hit a three point shot from anywhere with a basketball. But if you ask me to dribble into the lane to take it up, I sucked at it. So hmm. it was one of these things I looked at and just said, I accepted it early and just said, you know what, have fun with it. And the cool part of that was I had no pressure. You know, it was one of those, I'm good enough. You know, I, I got to be in some wrestling math matches where I was, you know, the, the starter and I got some, I got to end up being second string halfway through the season. I didn't care, you know, sports to me were a catalyst, um, basically for possibly to feed my significance at that point, you know, to, to, to make me relevant. Oh, he's a wrestler. Oh, he's on the football team. Oh, he's on the baseball team. I don't know, but something tells me that there's that, which is, you know, a lot of the ways that I try to instruct kids now is, look, the benefit of you playing soccer, baseball, football, blah, 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 is is the teamwork and the camaraderie. But at the same time, I know why you play. And a lot of times why you play is because people then know you're a varsity football player. There's something that, and I shake my head, there's something very positive about that, isn't there? And they're like, Oh yeah. And like, you're, you know, I know I'm NLPing them, but I'm also getting them to admit that part of the reason why people work out or part of the reason why they play, 
those are reasons that are completely different than what we tell people on the external. Yeah. So if I said to you, Luke, why do you work out? What would you tell me? For me personally, it's for self-development to function more and to live better. Okay, so that's number two. What's number one? To, to, to have more function and more joy in my life. Okay, so that's number three. What's number one? <laughs> number one? Well, my, my initial instinct, like I got into uh, boxing when I was very young. And that was driven by my dad looked, to, he would watch boxing. You know, so it's something that I was influenced in and something that I thought he might respect when I was young. But I also had a mother with, um, who was separated, a single mother who sort of raised me, who had severe schizophrenia. And I became her carer earlier, but I was also told by doctors that I'm going to get it. It's like genetic at the time. This is what they would say. And they say, you're going to lose your mind. It can happen randomly. So for me, it was like, I've got to look for ways to find out what my mind is and how not to lose it. How can I keep it safe? Um, boxing was somewhere that I had an outlet for all my anger, aggression, but also somewhere that I could find, uh, you know, like move my body and just energize myself. Think uh, about Think about the opportunity that's sitting in front of you, people listening. Yeah. Your, your mother's schizophrenia was an opportunity for you to increase your excellence. Yeah, rather, definitely. Rather than it being a death sentence, like, oh, no, and then I'm going to lose yeah. my mind. Look, I felt like I've been schizophrenic in my life, too. Like, where you raise a teenager, you lose your fucking mind half the time. Sorry, I dropped the F-bomb. Yeah. That's but okay. you, you sometimes lose your mind when you're raising a teenager, and you're like, oh, my God, but you know, um, to be told stories like that. And, and we'll go back to the reason why I ask this. If I ask your wife or if I ask and I'm like, why do you work out? Everybody says, oh, for the health, for this, for wellness. Nobody wants to admit it's for how they look. Nobody wants to admit it's what they look at in the mirror and they have to approve of every day. So yeah, that when I was younger, that was a drive. Um, but for me, it was I used to look up to people like Arnold and Bruce Lee, who I found at a young age. And they were like the heroes. And I noticed that they all had these muscles and less fat and to me it's like they can run they can jump and they can save the day it must be important to have a physique that looks balanced and i was very much into that sort of look and i noticed they had good posture good muscles good structure and i was like i've got to have that if i want to be able to run jump and be strong so that yeah, drove me uh, yeah. when i was young to to get into training to get into them things but i was highly driven like to not lose my mind when I was young, like um, what you're saying earlier, like now I see my mom was one of like probably the biggest gift I've had, had in my life. Like incredible what she gave me. She actually passed away, by the way, last week on the day you accepted the podcast invite. So it was like a, a balance of uh, things happening there, but that happened that day. Bro, you're going to make me cry. That's not. Yeah, good. no, this, this is what happens in life. It was unexpected. She was in a home at the time. She's had um, schizophrenia for over 30 years, my entire life. Um, and I've been her carer since I was a child. And it gave me lots of depression, suicide issues, so many issues. Because uh, she was a single mother with this. And it was an unknown topic, you know, to mental health just sort of being discussed more now. Back then it was like taboo. And when you're a kid, you yeah, think it's shameful, it was, it was embarrassing. Like you're, you're the little leper in town with a diseased mother and stuff like that. So when yeah. is your When's your book coming out? Uh, I started writing a book uh, early this year. Um, 
and I've got several that I want to write and I've just it's been a work in progress well, my I life has been one of all sorts of different extremes but I feel them extremes have blessed me well, especially now during um, this pandemic stuff where, you know, suicide rates have been so high and people are hopeless in certain things because yep. there's so much uncertainty. Do you realize what a book title? I don't know. I'm just playing around with stuff like this. You know, this is what I say about active listening. I think it gave me a, a chance to to hear a little bit about your stuff and just the story of um, why, you know, like you put out a, a book title that says why suicide is a gift. And, yeah. you know, again, you're going to piss some people off who've had people lose to people in suicide, but then when they really read the back cover and it just says, guys, let me start by saying, I'm not saying that people killing themselves is a gift, but my life, and then you go into your life as it relates to suicide and thoughts and this and depression and <laughs> why you did it. Um, there's a massive learning experience for people to read and hear your story. Like don't ever, don't ever think that people don't want to hear it. Like for me, it's very moving. So oh, for example, you. my mother, um, we were really close, you know, with my sisters and everybody, we were all, I mean, my mom and dad and everybody, we, I mean, we had a really sick sense of humor. As you can hear when I'm on stage, I say some really stupid shit, but you know, I do it for shock value. I do it for fun. I do it to make people laugh. And, you know, um, I don't ever do anything like that to hurt someone's feelings. And if I ever did, I would hopefully be told about it. But my mom was laying on the bed and, uh, you know, she's 82 or whatever. And I was called back home. They said, look, she's really going to be, she's hurting. I'm like, oh, okay. So um, she's probably going to die. And I said, okay, well, let me get home. I, I, so I pulled in the house around 2 a.m. in the morning and I said, mom, listen, um, this is really inconvenient for me. Now I have four brothers and sisters sitting there mm. and it's 2.30 in the morning. So I'm checking her pedal pulse on the top of her foot because I figured that would be the best way to uh, to be able to um, the furthest point away from the heart to really feel that's going to be the part that's going to start going away first when she does pass. So I was just really down there to, to check it out. And I'm like, oh, she's, this is pretty strong. She's going to be here for a while. Well, I had to be at UPW Newark, New Jersey, 15,000 people on Sunday to do a couple talks. So I'm talking to my mom and I'm like, you know, mom, this really doesn't work with my schedule. Um, you know, it's really inconvenient for me. And my sister is losing her shit. Like she's like, <laughs> you can't say stuff like that. And I'm like, so if mom, if you're going to pass away, you can either make it today, Thursday, tomorrow, Friday, or the next day, Saturday, but Sunday does not work for me. And she hadn't spoken or laughed or anything in so long. Cause she couldn't. And you heard her just go, uh, 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 and she starts to laugh. Which then, of course, made her choke a little bit. My sister, the nurse, freaked out, and everything turned out to be okay. <laughs> and, and so I was doing that kind of stuff all morning and all afternoon and hanging out with her, and I'm trying to make these guys chuckle a little bit. They're like, oh, my God, you're sick. And then my one sister had enough. She's the one who re really raised my mom, and I'm pretty close with her too. And she said, um, I got to leave the room. I can't stand this. But, you know, this is just killing me watching her sit like this. She literally walks out of the room. And 30 seconds later, my mother passes away at like 1142 on Saturday morning. Now, why did she wait? Because my sister was the one who took care of her the last 10 years. Not like in, you know, in bed and all that stuff, but eventually that way. Yes, because she had a colostomy bag and all these things, liver tubes. 
And I went out and got my sister and I said, Erica, come back in. And she's like, I don't want to. And I said, trust me, you're going to want to be here for this. And then she panicked like, oh, my God, I left my mother on her deathbed by herself. And she made it all about her. And of course, she and I got yeah. deep discussions. And I said to the second that my mother passed away, Erica, she controlled the narrative. She goes, what do you mean? I said, she knew that you would be batshit crazy when she passed away. So she decided to wait until you left the room and passed away 30 seconds later. She had all the time to do it, but that's when she passed, when Erica left the room. That's what I choose to believe. And yeah. it helped her deal with, I abandoned my mother in her time of need. Yeah, so, you switched the responsibility and made the choice like a positive choice. Well, yeah, because if you don't, then it's ego-based. Like, I left my mother. I wasn't there for her. Can we not make this about you? You know, can we make this more about, you know, mom Mom was in control of that narrative from the beginning. And it really changed uh, the way that the rest of the weekend went. And I packed up my brother and said, the sisters are already cleaning out shelves in the house and I can't be here for this. I said, you and I are going to drive over to New Jersey. You're going to sit through my UPW event. And it blew his mind because he never knew really what I did because he never got to see it. He's like, that is truly unbelievable. So I had him taking posture pictures for basically 15 hours straight and he loved doing it. But it, plus it got us out of the situation, yeah. you know, to something a little bit more. And then we planned everything from there. But, you know, look, gifts like your mother and her diagnosis and gifts like your thoughts of depression and suicide and your ability to come over it. There are thousands of people that need some guidance and that's what I would encourage you to at least talk about it, you know, out here or and write about it and maybe put some stuff on social media to say, look, I, I want to share a thought that came into my mind. So I'm starting up this new um, uh, Instagram channel, I guess, like another handle that I'm going to put out there. I, I don't really want to tell anybody what the name of it is yet, but I'll get it to you later. So I want to make sure it's available and I'm going to be basically finding some interesting stuff to talk about in a very short, here's a one minute discussion and then a one minute recap, put your answers below, you know, that kind of stuff, just to engage community a little bit more with people on some very uncomfortable or some very interesting subjects. Again, they yeah. get to know me a little deeper, which is fine. Um, I, I like that kind of stuff because then I get to know them a little deeper. That's why I answer all my DMS personally on my stuff. That's how you and I hooked up because I, I truly do want to know how am I doing as it relates to perpetuating a, a positive message of Agoscu and the Agoscu method or anything that I joke around about on my social media stuff. Um, I want to make sure that it's acceptable, you know, and, and people will let you know. I mean, the world's in a place where they'll let you know for sure. Yeah, exactly. And it is all about that where we're at now. Like you say, you can, you can always look and see the bad things that are happening but we're in a place where we can connect and share and express ideas and help each other out so quickly with a touch of a couple of buttons like we're in totally different countries right now and we can have a conversation you know and um that, that is i did create a youtube channel and i share a lot of my experiences in depth and i do on my instagram and i'm trying to just create as much as possible with my own experiences and perspective to share that with others because a lot of the depression and suicide problems i had and at points i just thought would never go i thought i'd learn to manage this i'll become the best manager of my problems but unless i fix them all um 
they won't go away. And I was like, there's no chance they're going to be fixed. So I was, that was my mentality before. Things had to get even worse in my life for me to, um, I'll tell you shortly, but in 2015, I had my last suicidal thought. And my mom had tried seven overdoses in seven months. And I had to keep rushing her back and forth to the hospital. And my partner, Danielle, was 29 and she had a cardiac arrest. And she died for two minutes, was brought back to life with defibrillators and then was wheelchair bound, partially brain damaged. And I was told she would have less than five years to live. So I'd now become the carer for my mother, carer for my love. And one day I was walking after get my mum back from the hospital. I walked across town to go visit Danielle's, her name, worrying that is she going to be dead when I turn up? Worrying, is my mum going to kill herself while I'm gone? And I was crossing a motorway and I got across a bridge. And as I'm standing there, I had to stop because I was just hit with this impulse. I'm going to jump off, jump off and go out with a bit. And now I realized I just wanted to shout and scream to the world, you know, to, to let people know there's stuff going on sort of thing. But I was hit at the same time, right at the last second, I'd say like millisecond with an inspiration that, you know, I'm going to keep fighting. And even if my, my external world gets worse, I'm going to find some joy within myself. And that sent me on a whole new path. Um, and uh, Danielle is still alive, by the way. Uh, she was told she would never walk again. She was wheelchair banned. She's walking. Her memory's back. She's talking. She's sitting here with me now. Um, it's been six years since then. And I haven't had a single suicidal thought since then. Um, but it took a lot. And it took working on posture. That's why I was so happy to hear what you did and see you in the UPW. Um, I actually found out through chiropractic care that got her out the wheelchair uh, and just sent us on a new path, understanding that... Uh, structure dictates function if your structure's off your function's off and that was something that was just overlooked in my life so much well so it's worth on that. Off, your functions off your emotions are off your reactions are off your digestion is off just yeah your everything blood, your lymph <laughs> yes if the if the, there's a reason why the bony skeleton is the framework for the house of this human body like think yeah. about it your your home your car has a frame then everything's added above that. And if you don't view the frame as the, as the network of stability, then you're just an absolute moron. And I don't mean that to anybody who's listening to this from the standpoint of not in medical. No, no, I can say I, I was a moron before, you know. <laughs> oh, no, not even Happy that. Happy to say. Yeah. When you're medically trained and you can't look at the basics of the human body because you're blinded by the blinders of the peer-reviewed studies that are stuck on your head, you're literally making people worse. Yeah. You're skipping the most basic things to help people. So, for example, in the physical therapy world, in general, there are no peer-reviewed studies to say posture even matters. Yeah, think no. about what I just said. In your life, posture has been a profound effect. And in the medical world, there's not a peer-reviewed study out there that says posture even matters. Meaning yeah. your back pain is tied to your posture. There's really no relevant connection between the two. Your sciatic nerve or disc problem is because of your posture. Okay. I totally understand that. But what a patient or client understands is my posture sucks. Look at those pictures. I have pain. And when I improved my posture, my pain went away. How can there be no correlation? But nobody wants to listen to the patient. They want to listen to the study. 
and this this is really one of my hot buttons, of course, because it's one of these things where you've given up self, you've given up self-reliance and self-thought. That's why when I say to people, Pete Agoscu and I were talking the other day, into who really owns the Agoscu method. I'm like, Pete, your name's on the door. You came up with this 50 years ago here. I've been with you for 30 years. Do we own the method? He's like, well, I don't, you know, where are you going with this? And I said, well, it makes sense because I learned this from you. The client in pain owns the method. They own the idea that every decision that we make as a, as a company, every one of them is about connection with the customer. Where's our packaging? Where's our pricing? Where's our social media? Where's our trust factor? Especially in COVID-19 because people only spend trust currency. If they don't trust where it's going, they, they're not going to spend it. They're a little leery of everybody that's out there. And we've been in the online world doing therapy for 30 years. When we did VHS and beta tapes back then, people would mail it back and forth from Europe to us and we'd take a look at them. And it worked so un unbelievably well. I was blowing me away because I had my blinders on coming out of university with medical training going, that's not going to work. And of course it worked. But now with you know Zoom and Skype and everything else, you can take a look at somebody in a nanosecond and just say, well, your knee could be because of this. And I'm not diagnosing your knee injury, but I am going to take a look at what the hip above and the ankle below are doing. And that ankle's collapsed and that hip is tilted like this. No wonder your knee is taking the hit. So is the knee injury a bad thing or is it an opportunity to tell you that your hip and your ankle are off? Of course, it's the second. Its analogy is tied to the schizophrenia. It's tied to everything you went through. You know, they're, they're all the same if you have a, a different glass to look through. But if you're looking through something that has to be show me the study, then you're, you're I won't say you're closed-minded because you're really not. You just haven't been shown what you don't know yet. And when we can improve that across the board, then this goes for everything. Then all this political bullshit that we're going through across the world could go away. Now, is there a chance of that? I have no idea. Um, I don't really care. I live my life. Um, you know, you can't change the past. You can affect the future by living in the present and making decisions in the present. But there's a reason why the present is called present. It's a gift. So live yeah. in the present. You know, you've had a past that you could literally live by your past. So is your girl. You guys could live in your past. But yeah, you learned that, your past. You're not gonna Yeah, that was that. a big thing for me is uh, I spent a long time living in the past and then fear of the future and realizing I'm in a delusion, you know, because I'm living in something that doesn't exist. I'm worrying about the future, thinking about the past and mistakes and regrets and just, you know, like blame. And it took a transition to realize and to get into the moment and like you said, and rewiring them things. And it is a choice. It's a choice to choose things and look for the gift and I found some of the biggest traumas that I've experienced. If I look hard enough, they're just in like tight wrapping, you know, it's a gift that's just really wrapped tight. And you just got to get a bit of strength to rip it open and you can choose what the gift is, how it can gift you in a different perspective and aid you in your life. And for me, it was when I've reached to other people in my physical presence and had a real big impact on them. That was incredible. And then when I was able to share that online with people and have these discussions and connect with people around the world, and it's like, these are amazing gifts. Like I said, with my yeah. mum, if she could have made the choice when she was born, um, when I was born, sorry, and she goes, right, you're going to lose your sight so your son can see. 
She'd make that choice in a second. So I like to see it that way. I can choose to see it that way. Well, you're exactly right. And um, it's, you know, people that have kids know this. People that haven't will hopefully experience it someday. I'd like to say you'll never love anything more than your child, um, especially for women, because they have a nine-month head start on loving that kid. They carried it. They grew it. They developed it. I am a dad. I love my kid. But if you think about a mother of a child, they love their kid. Like it's mama bear. I will kill everything in sight. You come near my kid. Did you see that video of the, uh, the mother uh, mountain lion going after the hiker in Utah? Have you seen that it, on YouTube? Is it the one where he's, it's running after him? His paws are going really wide. He's yes. He's, he, yeah, I did see had, that. He, yeah. he walked backwards for like three miles, super tired. And he actually said during the thing, I don't want to die. I think I'm going to die like this. Like he reached a point where he was getting so exhausted and the, the cat was so intimidating, but that was a mother cat when this guy went near one of her babies uh, on the trail, inadvertently, I guess, but she let him know that's not going to happen again. Yeah. And um, it's one of these things where as a parent, you know, you look at situations that are happening now that I learned this from Pete Agoski years ago. Um, I take things that happen in my life very seriously, but I will not take them personally. Like I will not take them personally. You can get off this, you could get off this thing or even say it now, you know, that kind of stuff and be like, Brian, you're completely full of it. And you're this and you're this and you're this and you're this and you're this. And I would just go, what I learned from Pete in these words, thank you for the gift, but no, thank you. So I'm going to label your shit that you're slinging at me as a gift. And how can I ever get upset? at anything that's wrapped up as a gift, even if it was a turd in a box. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's no matter what you no, exactly, say. Yeah. Now, if you take action, you know, you come near my family, of course the people go into protection mode, but words are just words. And, and, and that I think is part of what happens to people when they're, when they're younger is words really start to tear them apart. That's why I've tried to educate my kid um, in a way that's, you know, your words are very powerful um, hold the door for people, uh, let people go first. Um, and don't do it because you want the accolades, do it because it makes you feel better that you've helped somebody else out trying to raise a kid that way. And then getting them to understand that the choice of words and the way you say them are forever impactful because thoughts become cellular. So when somebody says something to me, I can either let that impact me on the cellular level and that's going to destroy cells, or I can look at it and say, no, thank you for the gift, wrap it in a rainbow, basically mentally. <clears throat> and now it has not damaged me on the oxidative level. You know, that's how I choose to look at this kind of stuff. Now, everybody would go, well, where's the peer reviewed evidence? I don't really care where the peer reviewed evidence is. I, what I do care about are, are my thoughts positive or are they negative? And in the chronic pain world, you would not believe, well, you would believe it because you've been in that area, but you wouldn't believe how many people view an injury as the end of the world. So for example, Bethany Hamilton is a young lady who had the tiger sharp take her arm in Hawaii when she was surfing. You remember that? No, not, not that one, no. Okay, she's from Hawaii. Uh, Bethany Hamilton, very famous surfer. She had her arm taken by a tiger shark while she was paddling out. 
they did a movie about it. Really good movie. You should look it up. Um, and so I just did a, an event with her last week called um, Beautifully Flawed. Now think about the title. Beautifully Flawed. Yeah. It just makes you smile. Versus we have handicaps. Now out of the 50 people there, I was one of the only, I was one of five who had all their limbs. So I just started mm -hmm. to talk with, what's the difference between you and I? And one girl angrily said, well, you have all your limbs and we don't. And I said, well, they're stating the obvious. And I said, we're going to get off to a great start. By the time we were done, and I told them, by the time we're done, your limbs and what you're going to go through over the next three days with Bethany and her team are going to take you psychologically and emotionally out of sometimes we pull ourselves into a victim state and let's move us into an opportunity state. What did the tiger shark give to Bethany Hamilton? Well, he took her arm, but he gave her more spirituality as to why she's doing what she's doing now. And she's affecting yeah. so many people in such an amazingly positive way that I couldn't help but be part of it. Right? So it's, <clears throat> if somebody said, well, what did you charge? Did you get paid to do it? Tell you what I got paid in. I got paid in feeling good because they weren't disabled people. They were super abled people. Once they're finished with disability, then they move into a superpower that just says, I lost my leg and you're bitching about your ankle being sprained from playing basketball. Get over it. This is what it's like to lose an entire femur, tibia, fibula, ankle, everything. But their outlook and, and how she transforms people, again, you've seen this with Tony also. This is why I encourage you to get in touch with yourself a little bit more and really look at a, the value of writing a book about what it's like to be suicidal as a teenager and the moment that you get out of it. Because you said it. I almost jumped off that bridge, but I realized... All I really wanted to do was scream at the world and say, I need help. Or don't you see where I am? And, that's yeah, and I, I, that, that was, like I said, 2015. But my f first experience was when I was seven years old. Um, so like it's been something that's reoccurred in my life from a very, very young age. And they were very different as well. And I have spoke to a few people on other podcasts. I've had a few people that have had similar uh, issues with attempts and being near there and it's been really interesting to share but yeah i'm planning to knock the uh, knock back down and putting more out there and reaching more people and i definitely will be writing a book and i definitely well, will be a... reaching as many people as possible and like you said earlier about hope for me it's it's the possibility of hope just trying to get that light out there trying to get that message out there that there's a possibility i can't say it's going to fix you it's going to cure you it's going to change you but there's a possibility that things can just change drastically more than you could ever expect. I would, uh, I would even be more certain about it. I would be, I would brag about it a little bit. My story is so profound that it will help you. Forget yeah. possibility. <laughs> possibility gives me a way out. I'm not giving you a way out. Mind yeah, mine being too politically correct. Yeah, fuck <laughs> politically correct. You are literally going to be helping people move to a place of certainty where they now are no longer the victim. So at Agoski, when somebody comes in with, and I'm talking chronic pain for 30 years, I mean, literally everything. And we tell them, thank you for the opportunity you're giving us to take a look at you. And they're like, yeah, I really need you to help me. 
okay, I'm going to help you understand what's going on, but you've got to believe by the time we're done. If it's, if it's hope, there's a big hole in hope. I need it to be belief. How we'll do that is I'll get you to feel better right away. And then long-term when the pain comes back, three days later, you don't go into panic phase because you now have some tools to pull you out of it. Yeah. And then six months later, you don't even realize how bad you were on day one because it's in the past. So yeah. when you look at this kind of stuff, every thought becomes cellular. And that's one of the big keys at Agoscu is not a mind change in the sense of um, your, your pains in your head. No, your pain is physiologically real. Your belief system and how you wrap around it is a whole different story. And now we get you to unravel the identification of your symptom. Like you are not your symptom. What we try to do is we try to get you to a point where you are now looking at it saying, my degenerative hip or TMJ or herniated disc or chronic neck pain or low back pain or knee pain is there for a reason and I'm missing the point on why it's there because I'm too caught up in woe is me. It's okay to be in woe is me as long as somebody's throwing you a lifeline to get out of it, but you got to be open to see the lifeline. Yeah. How, do, how did you get into the Goscu method? What was your transition into that? area i know you just said earlier you got out of a medical school what how did no. it happen for you i i i was in university and we did athletic training exercise physiology and nutrition and i was going to be your typical closed-minded wearing my blinders i know everything uh uh well built at least what i thought well built in the gym i'm bigger faster stronger all significance driven and then I ran into Pete Agoscu in 1991, which is you know 50, 30 years ago this year. And I luckily had my blinders ripped off and said, what if there's a different way to think about this? What if we ask this question? And I never ask why in college. If you said this person has entered uh, compartment syndrome in their lower leg, I never said why. I went right to treatment. Yeah. Um, if your hip hurts, ice it. But why does it hurt? Oh, well, um, you know, people are like that. You're a soccer player. Yeah, but it didn't hurt yesterday. Why is it so bad now? Well, because you might have some degenerative changes. Well, degeneration happens over time. What the hell is going on? So I luckily was open-minded enough to be able to hear what Pete was really saying. And until you experience it, you're really never going to get it. Like you, people will go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Posture is important. Posture is important, but when it's tied to pain and it can be your unlocking mechanism for getting out of pain, oh, you'll view it differently after that. So when yeah. I ran into him, I was in the physical therapy world <clears throat> and all we did was treat symptoms. And I'm not busting on physical therapists because I have two great physical therapists that I keep around me when I need them. They're true artists. So I encourage everybody, when you find chiropractors and PTs and acupuncturists and osteopaths and uh, physiologists who are amazing at what they do, keep them around you because you're going to need them sooner or later. Don't just assume every PT is educated the same because they're not. They're human beings. <clears throat> they're like politicians. A politician might be really great. And then you look at these 50 over here and they're complete morons. Well, the same thing happens in the medical world. The same thing happens to salespeople. The same thing happens to if I go buy a car. The bedside manner of the guy who sold me the car is the reason why I bought the car. 
Yeah, and no, I've had that same experience. I've been to so many different alternative healthcare places and just like I said, chiropractors, osteopaths, and I've been to so many different ones and each one is so different. Some of the philosophies are the same, but you can't, you can't judge one and then judge them all. You know, it's, no. it's such a different approach, but having, once you educate yourself, and I think like that's why it's so important what you do, just being present online, putting information out there that's free and easily available. Like I saw your content on YouTube and there's, there's enough stuff there that you can learn and educate yourself so you know how to use uh the tools that are at hand you know what an osteopath is what a chiropractor is what why posture is important so you can go to these places with a slightly better state of mind to be able to like you said strengthen that belief so when you go there you know whether you're sort of being ripped off or you know whether this person's passionate actually giving you good reasoning you know and um I think it's so important to be sharing that information and educating people. And I do think that will and is making a big change in the structure because a lot of people are realizing the difference of people not looking at their structure when they go to an appointment, not taking in some basic core elements when they go to see someone with, with ill health. But why? When they go to the dentist, they brush their teeth before they go. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck are you brushing your teeth for? You're going to a guy that's going to clean it. Because yeah, they don't want them to see them with dirty teeth. Then. Well, guess what? When you walk mm -hmm. into me, you have dirty posture. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's why when you're open to see this kind of stuff, and again, I don't judge this. I look at it and say, God, I hope you're a mess when I see you because we have, you're in a hole. I mean, if, if somebody came to me in chronic pain and their posture was perfect, I would go, I, don't, I have no clue. I have no clue. But if their femur is rotated, their hips turned out, their, their arms rolled over, their heads forward and it's cocked off to the left, we can at least say something is wrong. Well, yeah, like I said, with Danielle's cardiac arrest, I had done personal training before, but so I understood like your, your nerve function. If, you're, if your spine is in the wrong position, you're not going to get the best workout in your biceps because you're not getting the best flow of energy to it. So I understood that sort of basic levels uh, before. And the, when I went to the medical doctors, they said, oh, the cause is unknown, it's stress. And I was like, I can, and it's just going to happen again. And that just didn't set right in my mind. I was like, that's, there must be more to it. And that's what led me on to thinking. I just had the thought, I was like, well, the brain coordinates with the heart. Who checked the sort of, let's uh, simplify, who checked the wire between the brain and the heart? And no one did. And I was just like, who checks that? And that's how I found chiropractic care. Because I went online and they said, these guys look at nerves and and they'll do an x-ray and i was like well if they're going to do an x-ray so i looked at the anatomy myself and i said well there should be a problem around here somewhere around t4 there should be an issue there should be compression or something and i said let's go see where it might be in the neck so i went and got an x-ray she had a reverse curve in the neck she had a complete uh really bad wow. compression in a, in a thoracic spine at the top and it was like why did no one do it you know that sent me on a whole path of why 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 and like you say you go through a little bit of blame a little bit of anger say little quite a lot and um but no again it was gifts this opened my eyes we was able to address this and see okay there is people that deal with this and these are some nice people they genuinely <clears throat> care you know and it's, and it's just made uh, the world a difference like we needed to go through that experience we put needed that in, put yourself in their shoes i'm a healer i went through 11 years of medical school i did this 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 and i can't get this woman out of pain or I can't help her with this. So it's real easy to fall back on. This is just one of those cases where people have this stuff. Okay. Don't say that. 
because then the person may take that and say, well, I guess this is how I am. And two years later, they're dead. Meanwhile, if they would just get off this and start eating this way, they could turn things around. You know, the, the, biggest, the biggest problem in medical school is that doctors have four hours, basically, of nutritional training. When yeah. we know what you, why would you not, if I'm making a Ferrari, I promise you the fueling system that I'm putting in that car has been studied by the best engineers in the world. So why wouldn't you study the same thing about the fuel you're putting in your body? Sugar creates problems. Fat is actually healthy during certain times of day and certain types of fat. So when I tell you about the ADHD and all this uh, concentration stuff, and I get nothing from this, so let me just say this. When I started doing Bulletproof Coffee, a clean, and I never drank coffee in my life until the age of 47, um, or was it 49, whatever it was, 49, I tell people now that I learned how to read a book at the age of 49. Well, what do you mean? You have so many books on your bookshelf and all this. Yeah, and I read them all, and I read them almost every year because I'm in a different place. So if I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl or The Four Agreements or something like The Book of Five Rings, I look at these books and say, I'm a different place in my life a year later. What if I pulled something more interesting from the book at that point? Yep. So it is repetitive, but you can get through the book twice as fast, but you're going to pull some information from it. I believe that the fat that I throw into my body via the conduit of coffee in the morning and the polyphenols and the antioxidants that are in coffee, so healthy, if it's a good coffee, um, with butter, with MCT oil and all this other stuff. I believe that's the reason why I woke up and could read like I can read now. And I'm not, I, I make such a joke about it, but I'm not really... Like to me, it's so profound that it's okay to self-deprecate and say I was a dumbass before that. I wasn't really. I was still helping people, but I memorized things. Now I've learned things. Yeah. And it's taken my anatomy. It's taken my understanding of why I look at the psoas muscle as the circuit breaker of the human body. And for someone to come in to me and say, that's not true, I would say, thank you for the gift but no thank you because yeah. your education tells you that it's not true. It's the other hundreds of muscles working in sync. I get it. That's very true. But when the psoas and its alignment and its functionality and where it sits is off, everything starts to unravel and spiral from there. And the unfortunate thing, I would say the fortunate thing because unfortunate means I judge it. The fortunate thing about the psoas is that it's affected dramatically by emotional response, like the diaphragm. So when you can get your breathing under control and you can get your thoughts under control, that's the first way of somebody actually plugging the first part of that circuit breaker back in. Then you add yeah. the postural component because it has femur attachments, crosses the pelvis, attaches to the spine. It's the only muscle in the body that does it. It lays back like a hammock and you have internal organs that are affected by its functionality. So, yeah, I had, I had a, a amazing results from doing like a psoas release technique and it went on for about an hour or something I could do myself. And like you said, and if you get your mind and your thoughts in a certain place and that took time and practice, but that area, it's like a, you can feel it letting go, but it's like an overwhelming niceness. Like I didn't just want to stop. I could just, I was just laying there. Um, 
And it was like a cleanse and it was like a clearing. That's why yoga done right could put me out of business. Yeah. Because what we've, what we've turned yoga into in California, especially is let's make your butt look better. But it's, that's not really what's happening. It's become like personal training. Like you said, just for surface level looks. That's correct. And surface level function, people want to look like they can hold a pose that looks impressive for a picture. Well, I work on multiple yoga instructors with thoracic herniations. Do you realize what it takes to herniate a disc in your thoracic spine? Like it's amazingly difficult. Yeah, like I've had people with that and I've said to them, like they've said, oh, well, yoga helped me. And I said, well, I said, go for Pilates first. This is before I knew about your method. Um, But I was like, well, do Pilates. I said, you're going to go do yoga. I said, you're probably going to put yourself in a worse place because you're going to do something that you shouldn't do to twist yourself in a way you're not you're not ready for and i said just do some basic pilates go see a chiropractor and osteopath and, and and do the work yourself don't give them all the responsibilities your responsibility and um but yeah pilates was the one i used to recommend to people because of them reasons like you're saying people can just get a hernia from doing yoga well they get that way because they are no longer look for example downward dog when you do downward dog 90 percent of the world's doing it wrong and again, no judgment. I'm just telling you, there's a more effective way to do this. So when you when you put somebody through downward dog, give them two words. Okay, hop up into downward dog. Good. Let's pretend it's 15 yoga instructors. So they're experts at it. And they go right into it, hypermobility. They push right into it and go, yep, I'm there. Okay, I'm there. Oh, good, yeah. Ugh. And I'm like, wow, you're doing a lot of work to get there. Um, do you feel how much you're using your arms to push yourself into this downward dog? Yes. Okay, great. Stop pushing and start pulling. Well, what do you mean? Think of the words. Use your abdominal area, your hip area to pull yourself back. Your arms are there just to leverage the pull, not push the pull. And when you do that, they're going, oh my God, this feels so much better. Now at that point right there, their entire emotional state changed. Their entire thought, they got out of their head And now their body's instinctively creating the movement. We call it hip driven. Hmm. When you can hip drive any movement, it's a flat out game changer. And and, and listen, anybody who's listening to this, if I didn't convince you to go get the pain-free book by Peter Goscue, go get it. Start reading the first couple chapters, then start doing some stuff for yourself. I encourage you to contact me via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I don't care. It's under the Brian Bradley. And trust me when I tell you, Luke, the is in the front of that only because Brian Bradley was taken by a Tampa Bay <laughs> hockey player and he wouldn't sell it to me. So it's the Brian Bradley. We have another one called the Egoscu Method or Egoscu Method on social. Check out the stuff we're posting on there. Um, I, I tell you this because don't just hear this podcast and go, well, that was an interesting podcast. Pull the trigger. Do something for yourself. Benefit from this man's genius. Not when I say this man, not me. Peter Goscue's genius, who I luckily ran into 30 years ago and have been privileged to help him spread across the world. And using um, you know, a, a Tony Robbins platform has given access to almost 4 million people last year. Can you imagine? That's 4 million people that they've gotten to talk to and been introduced to Agoscu. If 10% of them said, wow, I'd like to move on, 
that's 400,000 people that are now looking at life as opportunity as it relates to pain versus I'm broken because you're not broken. You're not yeah, broken. Exactly well said. And that's exactly how I found you and the Ogosku method is it's through the Tony Robbins. Like I said, so that, that reach that's and where it's going to go from there. It's just going to be incredible. A hundred percent. I know your time is short and you've got appointments and bits to do. So I just want to finish the podcast. I just have 12 questions I ask every guest. It won't take long. Have you got time for them? I'm sorry. Did you say, uh, you, 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 let, let me just tell you what I heard. Brian, I know you're busy, but I only have 12 questions. There's short one answer questions. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'm quick, just... quick fire questions. Yeah. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. Come on, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. What's your excited noise? What is my excited what? Noise. Uh, an exhaust off of an amazing car. Right. For example, you... like a Porsche GT3. When the startup on a Porsche GT3 might be uh, about as uh, exciting to me as anything else. Okay, and what, what about your own per? Do you make a noise yourself when you're really excited? Uh, yeah, I mean, I internally I do. You know, um, you'll see by a lot of the answers that I give on online, uh, the term "let's go" and I capitalize "go" as you know seven different O's at the end, um, like "let's go." You know that when I'm playing yeah. different sports, you know that kind of stuff. Yes, that's one of my right. favorites. Right, and if you could only choose one, a dog or a cat absolutely both so oh, you can only choose one what do you mean who's stopping me from choosing both but if i had to choose one <clears throat> i have two cats they're amazing but my dog has been a life changer so i'm gonna say dog okay so you can make a choice <laughs> right. what's your favorite I feel, color i feel really bad about my two cats yeah let me apologize i, I, Sorry, I say it because yeah, I say I have I have four cats and a dog, so this, and my part. So that is why I like to ask because everyone seems to when you get down to it, everyone will choose one. And if you didn't know, I have four cats and a dog, and I'm recording this in a van in the middle of Europe at the moment. That's where I live. Um, no, I saw that on the uh, I saw that on your story when you opened up the door and the one cat wouldn't come out. Yeah. <laughs> They all live in the wild out here. What's your favorite color? Uh, like a, it's blue, but it's any version of blue. All right. And what excites you creatively and spiritually? What excites me creatively and spiritually? Oh, boy. Um, you got to give me more detail about the question. I'm trying to think of an answer, and I don't want to give you a bullshit answer. Creatively and spiritually. Okay. Okay. What, what, what gives you fuel, you know, motivation and drive? Like uh, letting people, helping people discover that there's more to life and there's more to their life as it relates to anything. For example, pickleball is a version of like, uh, I don't know if you guys have it over there yet or anything nope. like that. Outdoor, miniature tennis, plastic paddles, all this stuff. It's the number one growing sport in the US. Um, Taking someone who's just learning a sport like that and saying, 
do this and this. And all of a sudden it's like their discovery is so much fun to watch, but that could be yeah. an analogy for anything. How's your knee work? Um, table tennis. When I teach that, <clears throat> um, here's how you take a corner apex at 85 miles an hour so that your car is working less because the angle you chose gives you more acceleration coming out, you know, from a car racing standpoint, hmm. you don't want to teach that kind of stuff. So anything from a, from a discovery, helping people discover something they didn't know is a hell of a lot of fun to me. I don't know why it could feed my own significance or anything like that, but I don't care. I think significance is a majorly positive thing if you can use it for good. I think yeah, if you use it, you, you have the gifts and you're meant to use them to serve. And if you are, you should be happy with your gifts. That's right. And what turns you off? Uh, let me get my list out. Um, <laughs> what turns me off is ego. What turns me off is uh, judgment. What turns me off is you know better than I even about my body or what I should be eating. For example, I had a sweatshirt on the other day that said meat eater. And below that it said, but I identify as a vegan. And <laughs> I know it's a little controversial because we're into the pronoun time and stuff like that. So I don't mean it like that, but I understood now why I get some questions about it. And this lady says, well, I'm a pescatarian. And she goes, so, you know, I'm basically vegetarian. I'm just a pescatarian because fish aren't animals. And I said, I'm sorry, fish aren't what? She's like, fish aren't animals. So of course I went to Google and pulled up fish, blah, 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 and showed her 10 articles and said, here's why fish are animals. I'm not doing this to get you to stop eating fish because I'm a huge fan of fish. But don't change the narrative to lie to yourself when you really should just accept the idea that you love fish. Thank the fish for giving its life to you that you're going to ingest. Instead mm -hmm. of saying, well, you're just a benign creature that's on this earth. That Trying to justify creature, it. Well, it's part of the major eco. If there were no fish, the oceans are screwed. Yeah. Like, come on. Right. Well, what, what, this might be the sound of the car, but what sound or noise do you love? Uh, you already asked me that, right? Didn't I say exhaust? That would be the exhaust. Yeah, the original one was what sound do you personally make, which was the oh, let's yeah. go. Oh, so, yeah, meant, that would be the exhaust. It's the exhaust. But what sound or noise do you hate? I don't know if I have one. I guess uh, I, uh, I don't really know if I have one because I know it's all a circle of life. I would say something like a, um, I live in an area where there's a, like a boatload of coyotes or something, right? And the coyotes make kills every night. But even at that, and I have a little French bulldog that's in the backyard thinking he's badass. And he's like, I need to be there. And I'm like, no, if you need to be there, you're going to be the, you'll be the entree. So I guess the sound of something being destroyed or something being killed. Um, I can tell you what I visibly, and it would be a chainsaw, something like cutting down a tree. I had a tree yeah. in front of my house that was ripping up my driveway. So we decided to cut it down. I literally sat in my office and felt like a piece of me died while I watched it come down. Um, mm. Because if you know the tree grew to that point, you're just like, come on. And then I find out later that if I would have just brought in an arborist, they could have actually put up a cut on the roots that were going underneath my driveway and save the tree. Oh. You know, so well, you know that's like a that's a loss right there. You know, 
Well, that's a gift right there. Yeah, I guess. It'll never happen again, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you told me and maybe someone else heard this and someone else learned. Right. What's your greatest fear? Um, greatest fear. Man, I don't, um, I, I really don't know. I never even thought about this kind of stuff. Uh, so, it's a good thing not to know because it's, it's no good to be carrying fears about with you. So it's, it's yeah, good enough. Yeah, nothing really comes to mind. If I can tell you what would be fearful is when all this stuff came down during the pandemic and um, everybody became a victim if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, mm. that, was, that was fearful because you almost felt like as a, as a male, as a protector, that's what I view myself, you know, like um, uh, you had no control. You yeah. had no control. If a mob of 20 people wanted you in your car, you're going to have to make a choice. You're either running them over or you're, or you're going to give in and do whatever is going on. And uh, <clears throat> neither one's a good choice. No. Challenge about yourself. What do I challenge about myself? I don't even know what that means. Like what... Um... Is it aspects of yourself that you're trying to develop that's reoccurring? Like, is there any particular thing that you just push yourself harder and harder on? Uh, no. Um, I, I, I very, I, honestly, I live a very balanced life. I seriously look up and say, what a blessed life every day. No joke. And it could be a day where, you know, you know my son could be going through something at school and he's, he's down on himself. And I'm thinking to myself, what an opportunity he's going to learn from this. Wow, is he going to learn from this? Um, mom goes through, my son, I need to protect him. That's the mother. The father goes to the very pragmatic point of rub dirt on it. It'll get better. You know, that's how guys are a lot of times. Both of them are equally effective. And yeah. as long as you're showing caring, that's all that counts. And listen, I, that's an interesting question because I don't really work on anything, but I can tell you what I'm very proud of is that I choose words wisely um, from bad words to just regular words. Like when I drop a swear word, I, you know, I like to pretend it's an accident, but it's not. It's, a, it's there for a reason to get a point across. And um, that's one thing that I've, I've learned because I used to use it a lot. That was part of my significant stuff, I think. But through Tony Robbins, you know, you can I, I listen. I'm like, wow, he just dropped that. Well, it's because when you're on stage, I can feel it. He can feel it. You're looking at a crowd of 15,000 people. And if you want to get their energy or their attention, yeah, drop the F-bomb one time with some volume. Everybody yeah. turns and looks. Now I've got your attention. Now let's focus on this. You know, that kind of stuff. It's a, um, there are multiple things that I say I could work, I, I could probably work on. I just don't really pay attention to them. Um, and I would say that one thing I'm very proud of and, and I could probably get better at is just the act of really trying to listen to what people are saying. So the example I have is a guy the other day was he has a wife who's pregnant and, and she wanted this and this and this and you're not going golfing, blah, 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 blah. And the baby could come any day and he's like, you're not going to tell me what I need to do. And then he calls me up and says, did I give the right answer? And I'm saying, yeah, you're a moron. Hmm. He's like, what do you mean? Like, bro, your wife's pregnant. Her hormones are all over the place. The body is amazing. And you're going golfing. 
Trust me when I tell you, she will keep this moment in time in a coffer somewhere and it's going to come up again. Don't go golfing. Walk in and just say, I'm a moron. Here's what I did. And it won't happen again. Feel for her. Ask her why she's so upset. Try to understand why she has hurt feelings because she's carrying around 75 pounds on her body, hurting, aching, and you're going to go swing a golf club and drink some beers. Not that you shouldn't be able to, but at that moment, she's not going to allow it hormonally and she's not going to forget it. So it's yeah. trying to listen to what people are really saying will save you some problems down the road. What do you love about yourself? Um, I, I love that I'm basically a chick at heart. You know, um, guys can be uh, really harsh um, inadvertently. They just learn that over time, especially with combat sports and all that kind of stuff. And I told you I was raised by three sisters, so I'm basically mm -hmm. a chick. Um, my mom had a very soft side to her that I think she taught all of us. Um, I really like that, that I don't, I don't judge a situation. And I think that's part of being softer is killing judgment. Like ask yourself why you judge. And it's all based on past experiences and, and your own significance issues. And when you can put that down, God, you are such a better person. Yeah, that was a big obstacle for me. I didn't, you don't, for me, I didn't realize how much I was doing it, you know, until, until you have a sort of uh, realization, revelation and, and really attempt for me at first, it was to attempt to let it go, to stop it, to notice it. And then when, once it's actually gone, there's an overwhelming freedom. No question. Um, and I, again, that's one of the gifts my mom gave me. Uh, she, she never judged anyone. Um, she was so compassionate, so kind. And even in the hospitals, and we went to so many different uh, mental hospitals, and she'd be trying to take care of other patients, giving them stuff that she didn't have. You know, she wouldn't judge. She just wouldn't judge anyone for anything. Um, and that's a lesson she taught me very well. So I like to reflect that in my own life and it's like tributing her with the gifts that she gave me. But yeah, judgment is something that needs to be dropped. Yep. And can be. Right. What do you love in others? Um, I can tell you what's very attractive in others is the, when someone is really willing to listen and they hear what I have to say, and then they're willing to correct it. They're willing to give me another way to think it when they frame it in a way that says, let me tell you what I just heard. And here's another way to possibly think about that same thing. Um, that's very attractive to me rather than saying, again, I disagree with you because you're wrong. Okay. Well, there's the judgment. You're telling me that my feelings are wrong and that's, that's judgment. It just, it's so unattractive. Yeah, very last question. What do you love about animals? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because animals are, did you ever see the movie? Um, What's it called? Uh, it's not. What's it eight, about? It's not eight millimeter. Maybe it is eight millimeter. It's a uh, a movie about a kid and a bunch of kids in a small town who have a camera. Super eight. It's called Super yep. Eight. And yes. at the end, <laughs> I think eight millimeter is a very different film. So, yeah, yeah, eight millimeters is a very different film. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. that's what I was thinking. I was like, where's this guy? No, 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 no. Eight. <laughs> yeah. uh, this one's uh, Super Eight. Super with the he lost his mother, had trouble. His dad was now a father trying to raise him as a cop. Very harsh, didn't know how to handle it. Great acting. But at the end, when the alien creature looks into the kid's eyes, you know, it, that was just such a, 
a moving moment because those were his mother's eyes. And that's what I think that animals, you know, ultimately do for you. They calm you. They give you a sense of caring. Um, Everything about my dog is bully, meaning he's a little French bulldog, but he's so, everything's dependent on me as a caregiver. Um, But, you know, they give such unconditional love. The same thing with the cats. The cats are fun as hell. You know, I, I torture those little things, meaning I'm, I'm running around, we play together, you know, that kind of stuff, torture in a good way. And it's a, um, I think that you can tell there's a little meme that travels around with even Vladimir Putin was on here and he was meeting with someone who picked up a dog by the, you know, the way the mother would pick it up by its neck and he hauled it up. And then Putin actually grabs the animal and holds him in his arms. I couldn't help but love Putin at that point. Right. Because it was, and that's Vladimir Putin who's probably pretty tough to love. Um, but at that moment, they always say, you can tell the heart of a person, truly their heart, when they treat an animal a certain way. And it was a very surprising meme that's going around. Look that one up. But uh, yeah, and I'm not telling everybody to be in love with Vladimir Putin because I know he does some crazy stuff too. So Yeah. <laughs> I know that's a beautiful answer. And um, yeah, very true. I I, I will let you get back to your busy day it's early in the morning for you it's uh, late in the evening for me it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and hear more on your story i could talk to you for hours and keep going on but i must let you get back to your day and yeah i truly deeply appreciate you being on here and thank you so much well not a problem this has been a blast uh make sure you put out my social media stuff put out the website for agoscu um the new pain-free book is coming out uh november 16th uh version two um, if you go to painfree.com, um, people will be able to, you know, pre-order the book and all that kind of stuff. And we'll have some things on there where people can actually, you know, maybe get some discussions with Pete and all that stuff. So I'm going to let you go. I'm going to hop on another yeah. one right now. And uh, Luke, this has been great. You guys enjoy the wild. All right. Thank you so much. You, Take buddy. care. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for being here and listening to The Selfish Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Greenheart, and I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. Just search Luke Greenheart on YouTube. You'll find me. Check out my website, lukegreenheart.com. Have an amazing day and stay tuned for more episodes. I'll be interviewing guests on their path of self-development, their path to self, getting to know them in much more intimacy, much more depth, sharing and connecting with all so we can have a much more blissful, joyful and productive life together. All right, much love. Have a great day. Thank you.